Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, friendo, Steve here. And Larson. And welcome to the second to the last Dark Side of the Ring Season 1 uh, review. This time we're talking about, what is this one called? The Death of Gino Hernandez? Uh, wow, I really should have paid attention to that before we started. <laughs> There's something of gorgeous Gino. Gorgeous oh, wow. Gino. Okay, hold on. Hold on, hold on. I got it right here. The Mysterious Death of Gorgeous Gino. Okay, we'll try. We'll start that again. Yeah. Hey, friendo, Steve here. And Larson. And welcome back to our second to last Dark Side of the Ring review uh, for season one, that is. And this one is The Mysterious Death of Gorgeous Gino. Uh, speaking, of course, about uh, Gino Hernandez, uh, who was taken uh, too soon. Uh, at the age of, I believe, 28. Um, yeah. A rising star in the Houston uh, Paul Bosch territory. Uh, he also wrestled in WCCW. He seemed to be a rising star in the, the Texas region. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma. Yeah. Sort of a, what I guess. So I didn't know I didn't know much at all about Gino Hernandez before this documentary. Of course, you hear the name. Uh, you hear uh, how, you know, he, he died too early. Uh, really early, too early to make a real impact on uh, on you know on pro wrestling. Uh, a lot of what ifs, what had you know what would have happened if he had lived, and uh, and what kind of legacy could he have crafted out for himself or carved out for himself rather. Uh, and that's sort of the biggest you know uh, the biggest question for me when you see a documentary like this. Obviously, the biggest question uh, that the documentary proposes and seems to try to answer by the end or at least answer enough to give closure to Gino's yes. mom, who's a focal yes. point, was really what was their foul play involved in his mm-hmm. death. And uh, according to two people seemingly close to Gino, uh, his drug dealing friends uh, evidently seemed to think that, nah, he just, it was just a, a tragic overdose. Yeah. Um, so uh, interesting enough story though. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it follows the, the template of a lot of, Sadly, stories from the 80s, uh, stories of people reaching a certain level of success, uh, discovering uh, 80s excess and overindulging in it. Yeah. Uh, we saw it with the, the Herb Abrams uh, UWF uh, episode in season two. Um, and, uh, you know, you can even say the uh, to a certain extent, the Road Warriors episode uh, followed that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sadly, all three of them had tragic outcomes with uh, early demises of the, the, the people in question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what, let me ask you this, looking at his, looking at his, uh, the work that they presented his, you know, he was noted for, you know, Jake said, you know, it's the kind of thing you can't buy. You can't learn. He just had it in his charisma. Of course, Jake mm-hmm. is probably one of the all time charisma guys. So he would know if he saw it. Um, he did. Gino did seem to have that that it factor, um, yeah. and his promos. I mean, he honestly like the the 
the most obvious comparison to me was just was like Ric Flair. Yeah. Like you see, even in in like the way he spoke. I mean, obviously he didn't mm-hmm. lose or anything like that, but when he got on the mic, uh, a lot his of cadence. It, his yeah. cadence. Thank you. Yep. Came off very much like Ric Flair, and you, you sort of see that. I'm not sure if he had that thing like when Ric Flair looks into the camera, it, like he's looking into your soul. He's mm-hmm. like he's burying himself in your soul. I'm not sure I got that from Gino necessarily, but nobody else has that. Like it's very few yeah, people very who few can people do have that. that. Very few people have that. And at the same time, too, he was, you know, young. He was still learning his craft. Yeah. Um, you know, the the story goes that his father – I'm not sure if it was his his birth father or stepfather because the stepfather uh, had the Hernandez last name. So that and, was and there was the, one shot yeah. of a wrestler in there, and the, the the lower third said stepfather. There's actually a, a clip of this uh, where they ask uh, uh, Gino's mom about the rumor that Paul Bosch was his dad because apparently that was a pretty prevalent rumor. Um, uh, in this clip, uh, they they took it out of the episode and made it its own thing on Twitter or whatever. Because uh, according to the Dark Side Twitter account, it says amidst rumors surrounding Gino Hernandez's death, fans and wrestlers also believed promoter Paul Bosch was his biological biological father. This bonus scene was cut from tonight's episode because it overshadowed. It was overshadowed by the mysterious details of Gino's final days. And in the clip, Gino's mom uh, denies it up and down as she says, yeah, we laughed at that. We had never heard that before, but apparently... You know, I remember reading Meltzer's newsletter when this episode dropped. He had heard that rumor. Plenty of people had. Bruce Pritchard in this clip claims that he had heard the rumor. Jake had heard the rumor. Uh, given the only evidence that they gave was, uh, you know, Gino was pushed pretty heavily by, you know, the promoter, and the promoter obviously chooses who who gets the big push. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But then she she reveals that it's a it was actually Charles Eugene Walsh and Wolf Wolf Wolf. Okay, sorry, sounded like you said Walsh. He apparently didn't even know that Gino was his son until after he died. The implication from the mom is Gino's dad elected to not be part of his life. And so she never told him that, hey, but apparently he worked security at the Houston shows. Oh, wow. And so he would go and didn't even know that Gino was wrestling and he was watching his own son wrestle. And wow. the last thing she says is you really missed out on some great years of his life, which is like that could be an episode all to itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, wow. Raul Hernandez in the episode, it says it's his stepfather. Luis. Louis, I'm sorry. Luis raised Gino uh, as mm-hmm. his own, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's here on Wikipedia, it says that uh, uh, Luis trained him. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Or trained with him. Sorry, it says trained with him. Okay, okay. So I assume in the episode when when Gino is talking, or his mom's talking about Gino's first match and how she was so surprised to see what he was doing, and he said, well, I'll just put my father's boots on, and that's what happened. I assume he's referring to Luis's stepfather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it is, you know, like you said, it does, it sadly does follow the same template as a lot of these do, and I'm sure they probably will continue to do. I mean, there's all sorts of wrestlers out there who, you know, have followed the same path. And I'm not even talking about necessarily distinctly being in the 1980s. I mean, if you look at another person we've talked about as as potentially getting her own episode, China, um, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, she died of an overdose as well. I think that was suspected, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, 
So, you know, this is hopefully this is the kind of thing that is, you know, with the wellness policy and just the way that wrestlers sort of take care of themselves in a different way these days. um, Hopefully this is a thing that will stay in the past. But, you know, a lot of these dark sides, they just follow the same kind of template. If it's not drugs and it's a guy who falls in with people who are, who have fallen in with drugs or in the case of Dino Bravo, you know, the the, the, the illegal cigarette trade just yeah. fell in with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, that seems to be the case, the same case where, you know, he, he was living the gimmick, you know, and that's one thing they asked Jake Roberts, who uh, was a former tag team partner of Gino. And uh, they ask him, hey, has there been uh, a time where the gimmick has infiltrated your real life? And he doesn't really answer the question directly. He just says, well, Jake the Snake Roberts, he's he he doesn't care what anybody thinks and he has control of his life. Whereas uh, was his first name Aurelian or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Aurelian. Yeah. Uh, Aurelian Smith. uh, He's a recovering uh, alcoholic and addict and more or less said uh, you know, it's 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 a situation where one person, Aurelian, doesn't have control over a lot seemingly or struggles to to, to maintain uh in his case sobriety. And then you have Jake Roberts, who has control of everything. Mm-hmm. I do like that the one distinction he seemed to make was Jake doesn't give a damn about anybody but Jake, and he says Aurelian cares about people, you know? Yeah. And yeah. he's got his problems and he's made his mistakes. And so yeah, but there is that sort of element of you understand, and we've heard this so many times. Ric Flair, probably the biggest, most famous case. I mean, of that this. was what that documentary is completely about. They, they, they would rather be the guy in the ring. You know, the guy Jake Roberts, the guy who doesn't make mistakes, who's completely in control, like you say. The mm-hmm. same with Ric Flair would be at home two days a year because mm-hmm. he didn't want to be, you know, uh, Richard Fleer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you, you see that, and then you see that in this episode, and, and you know, his family did say that, hey, you know, he, he had a softer voice with us, um, and he was a different person, but then, you know, the uh, the, the, the promoter, not Bosch, but the other guy, was saying... Oh, the, the referee guy. Yeah. So was saying, yeah, he yeah. was also, like, yeah, a booker. A booker, yeah. Um, said, you know, he, he got, got a real kick out of people living their gimmicks out of the ring, you know, because in his mind, that's that is protecting the business. Well, he was talking specifically about the storyline between Gino and Chris Adams. They're tag team partners. Uh, they had a they started a feud. And part of it was this is an interesting choice, I thought, is that uh, Gino threw Nair. Yeah. Which is a hair removal product. Yeah. Into Chris Adams eyes. And then Chris Adams was selling that he was blind. Mm-hmm. And he was out in public and stuff. So he'd, he'd go around. You know, someone else would drive him. He'd have a bandage over his eye. Yeah, just selling the fact that he was blind, and that's what the his name escapes me. You know, he's been in several of these episodes. Yeah, um, like he's like, yeah, that's people living their gimmick, and and you know, that's one of the things about pro wrestling is, especially back then, uh, they they would follow through on things that happened in the ring out in public, and it went so far as when uh, the reports of Gino's death surfaced, uh, people were calling into the cops. About Chris Adams being responsible for it, and he was actually, according to one of the interviewees in this, he was actually interviewed. By yeah, his his ex-wife, yeah, Jeannie Williams. Yeah, yeah he was. Uh, it, they had to talk to him, which is a pretty funny thing. Um, so yeah, uh, interesting episode. Um, it was it was good to see uh, Gino's mother get some measure of closure because in uh, about thirty some minutes in. 
Um, you know, she was talking about how she thought there was probably some foul play involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was actually teased in the intro of the show. And then um, they got interviews with uh, John Floyd, uh, John, John Royal, Royal, John Royal, yeah. who was uh, the man who apparently after Gino's death came to his mother's house. And uh, as his mother put it, kind of in a, a fairly intimidating fashion, said to her, uh, hey, your son owed me money, mm-hmm. but I'm going to pay for his funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I think that was one of several things that that maybe led her to believe that something uh, that it wasn't just an accidental death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then between an interview with him and uh, uh, another anonymous interview, um, you know, they both kind of told the story of, of Gino just got too deep in that lifestyle, was using a ton of cocaine. There's several instances of him uh, exhibiting uh, signs of paranoia. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Jeannie uh, Williams like, tells a story about him like running, like getting high on cocaine and running the water, the sink water in the kitchen so much so that it overflows and he grabs a gun and he's getting all paranoid and he found mm-hmm. comfort in the, in the noise of the, of the water. She was like, to yeah, turn us there's another story where he was telling the, the referee from uh, WCCW that uh, he was driving and someone was in the backseat of his car. He saw mm-hmm. the rear view mirror yeah. and uh, he put on the brakes real fast and this person left the car. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's entirely possible that uh, he was a, a bit of a hallucination on his part brought out by his paranoia. And the fact, um, I mean, she, he, he had, he had, uh, was it, was it Jeannie? I think it was Jeannie that said that yeah. she was dropping, like, he was like, here, take this. And I'm pretty sure it was a hallucinogen. It was acid. Yeah, that's what she said. It was acid. Yeah. yeah. And they go um, to a so, club and she's like, yeah, everything starts getting weird. So it was, it was, it was good to see that his mother got some, some measure of closure, uh, you know, granted it's 35, almost 35 years later. Well, the idea um, that like she was, she might've still been scared for her or her family's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is is a really sad one you know and the fact that these guys which you know kudos to dark side of the ring for actually being able to get interviews with you know these guys you think oh these are shadowy nefarious characters but you know they had their names and and they interviewed them and they seemed like mm-hmm. fairly reasonable people um you know i mean yeah you, you can you can you can take a guy who's done 30 years for for drug trafficking what i guess you could take his word with a grain of salt but still, like they, him and the anonymous guy are both like, yeah, this. They had the same story, you know. Well, it was like yeah. he went, he went home from a club after drinking too much and a combination of alcohol. The weird stuff is when they started talking about like how you know the 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 body looked, it seemed like it was a different person. Oh, that the was autopsy bizarre. report was weird because yes, in the autopsy it said that the the deceased individual was morbidly obese, which. And he was un- he was wrestling still, you know. And, and he was uncircumcised yes. versus what his ex-wife claimed that he was circumcised. And then he said that he had like five times the amount of cocaine in his body that would normally lead to an overdose. I wonder what the what the autopsy guy was was snorting because that autopsy know. was a disaster, was a mess. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, like the the anonymous dude who uh, Dark Side talked to, he made it sound like the most mundane thing that a couple of uh, guys would start just getting into the drug trade in the eighties. I like, know. Oh, yeah. We were a couple of young guys look, looking to make some money, so we just started. Uh, we got involved in uh, selling drugs. I'm like, it kind of sounds like a huge deal. And it's like, oh, this is something. He's, he's, I think to paraphrase, it's like, yeah, it's just something you did. I, I honestly think, I on, dude, I honestly think it's sort of like back then, it really wasn't much different than selling pot. You know, like it was, it was before people really understood. I think that. 
I mean, from what I've, I've always read about, you know, the perception of cocaine, granted, you and I are both too young to have been around then to understand the perception of it. But I know, like, I know the, the death of Len Bias really shocked mm-hmm. a lot of people into understanding, mm-hmm. whoa, this could kill you. I don't think a lot of people really understood how bad it was prior to that. And, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if if it had maybe the same perception or at least in the same ballpark as weed. And in which case, yeah, selling coke. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know a whole lot of people who would sell pot, but I've known some people back in the day who would. Um you know, now it's legal, so it's it's, it's not a big deal. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Sort of weird. Yeah. Sad 80s story. were a weird time, man. The 80s were, I mean, look, you, we can attest to that just from being kids in the 80s. But uh, I couldn't imagine being like an adult in the 80s. Man, Iran-Contra, freaking all that stuff. <laughs> the hostage situation. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, I kind of feel like the subtitle of this episode could be Cocaine is a Hell of a Drug. Yeah, yeah, that could apply to a lot of episodes of uh, of Dark Side, though. It's sort of a running theme, I know. Mm-hmm. The Herb Abrams one was just so overloaded, you know. It was like Wolf yeah. of Wall Street. I was like, Good, yeah. could you, you just stop with the cocaine, man? I know, I know. Anyway, so next week we've got the fabulous Mula episode <sighs> to to finish things off. Some sex trafficking. Ugh. <laughs> that should be a blast. Anyways, <laughs> until then, till then, we'll talk to you later. Goodbye.